0: Welcome to the Newfoundland Beer Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Dignam. Today's episode is all about food and beer pairings. I'm talking with Matt Power. Matt is studying for his certified Cicerone certification, the second level of Cicerone training. For those of you who may not have heard of Cicerone certification before, uh, Cicerone training is the equivalent of a sommelier in the beer world. Matt got into craft beer, is a member of the Newfoundland and Labrador Artisanal Craft Beer Club, and he also writes the tasting notes for Kitty Vitty Brewery in St. John's. Um, also joining us is Ethan Machinsky, my partner in life and my favorite person to share a beer with. So, welcome to the show, guys. Um, I'll have you guys introduce yourselves.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm Ethan. Good to be here.
0: <laughs> cool. So, we're at we have some food with us. Um, <laughs> But we're going to talk about a lot of food that we don't have here. And I want to just point out for, like, to give the image of how great this is we have some salami, some different cheeses, some fruit, and of course, some snowballs, which are coconut covered, like,
1: marshmallow ball confectioners. Very
0: important. Um,
1: Basically, pure sugar. And I don't know (laughs)
0: anything about food. Like, I am a beer and food lover. Yeah. And I will drink any beer with any food. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to learn like, actually things about beer and food pairing, so I'm going to let you just take us on this journey. Yeah, of course.
1: (laughs) So, um, with regards to tasting beer and food, first off, like, you don't need to to have a lot of background to be able to dive into it. Uh, If you like having a certain beer with a certain food, then that's a good pairing for you, period. Um, It is going to be the case that certain times, certain styles of beer are going to kind of complicate or conflict with what you're trying to eat, either by overpowering things that you're looking for or by, um, kind of muddying the waters of the flavors, but generally that's, that's the exception and not the rule. So, in terms of, I mean, pairing in the first place, if you just take the assumption that, of course, I'm going to have a beer with a the food, then, well, you're already doing beer pairing, uh, but if you're like, why would I go out of my way to have a beer with a certain food, then you're, you're getting into trying to make things match up in some way, uh, it's no different than any other ingredient, really, in that, of course, you're going to go, well, what herbs would I put with this vegetable or with this meat? Uh, the only difference is that it's beer or with wine or anything else that you're going to be drinking during the meal. You're constantly bringing it from one side and refreshing the palate in a way that you don't necessarily do that with, uh, with, with pretty much any other ingredient on the plate, except for some sauces, really. Um, the other thing about beer in particular, for doing pairings, is it's a way to get a lot of different flavors into the table um you can get a lot of nuances from uh wines however generally speaking they're going to be within a few very specific ranges of of, of flavors and aromas broad ones don't get me wrong um but because with beer you're working with both malts and hops uh as well as the yeast i mean obviously you're going to get yeast characters from wine as well uh you tend to get a lot of things in the herbaceous range and a lot of things in the malt caramel toast cereal uh, coffee chocolate range so you've you've got a lot to experiment with there uh, and if you get into things like cellaring and barrel aging which um, a lot of the beers that we've had here have been cellar aged for a little bit for good or for ill and, uh, it's it's going to provide a, a bit of additional complexity there so um, cellar
0: aging is that a fancy way of saying that they were in your cellar for a little while i mean yes but i'll
1: guess <laughs> yes but uh, Um, beer can be cellared quite well it's not something people tend to think about with regards to beer they think Mm -hmm. of it much more with wine or um, with spirits in some cases really Uh, with beer you're definitely working on a smaller time scale you aren't going to put aside a beer for your parent or, or for your child or your grandchild like that's that's not really an option actually with some diligence you could probably do your child but that's that's about it um so, generally, higher alcohol beers will be able to sell quite well. Sour beers will be able to sell quite well. Um, beers with a large hop, high hop content will be able to not spoil longer than some other styles, but those hop characters are going to drop right out. Now, that's not always a bad thing. A good example of a uh, beer that I found worked quite well for that, uh, Disco Soleil by Du de Ciel. It's a kumquat pale ale, and... I had it and left two bottles in my cellar and unfortunately uh, I was in the middle of a move and they kind of got left in a box for a bit and I cracked them open and while the hops character had dropped out it, it really let the kumquat character kind of push through in a way that, that wasn't there in the beer and it was genuinely one of the better beer I had that year despite it being a like one-year-old pale ale which is not usually what you're expecting me for cracking a bottle. Uh, realistically though with a lot of beer if you're cracking them after more than two, two-and-a-half years. You're going to start getting a lot of breakdown of the different aromatics and flavor mm-hmm. compounds in the beer. You're going to start getting a lot of either uh, oxidation, this wet paper cardboard character. You're going to get a lot of uh, pepper notes. Pipe is are really common last step for a lot of uh, flavors and, and aromatics to break down into. Uh, especially on barrel-aged beers, that, that can get just pepper. <laughs> um, but that, that's, I mean, that's, that's, not, that's kind of an, a side thing. Uh, it mm-hmm. is definitely going to impact the flavors that we're going to have with some of the things today. But uh, the main thing to, to focus on here is the, the flavors of the beer themselves and, and the ways in which they can kind of play well with, with food. Uh, I think viewing it as a as an ingredient is is probably the way to go when you're looking at pairings, though for the most part. Uh, one or two exceptions that I'll get to in a minute. Um, when it comes to actually pairing beer with food, what you're looking at you're usually trying to go one of three ways. You could either look for flavors that are complementary. Uh, cheese beer flavors that kind of complement the main character. If you're having like um, a very heavy, caramelly, cheesecakey kind of beer, then you might want to use like a brown ale or a honey nut brown or something like that uh, to kind of really lift those characters up. Or if you wanted to have uh, an IPA, you could have it with a really heavily herbed citrus dish. Uh, You want to be careful not to overpower it, you want to have flavors of similar intensity um, so, you, a pale ale would usually probably be a better pet than an IPA in that case, but you're still relying on the citrus and herb characters of your hops to pair off with your food. Uh, there's also contrasting. You're looking for beer flavors that highlight undertones that aren't really immediately apparent. Um, the usual example that I tend to get told of like I tend to I'd be told, I recommend this a lot, is uh, having uh, blue cheese with a really robust stout. You don't tend to think about the more nutty, earthy tones of the blue cheese. And it really tends to bring those to the fore, plus the creaminess of the cheese is going kind to of really bring out the more coffee and chocolate uh, notes of the stouts that you're working with. Uh, another really good example is IPAs with kimchi. Um, <laughs> that, that acidic character tends to overpower uh, a lot of things, that, that lactic fermentation. And um, the IPA is enough to stand up to it, and it really starts highlighting a lot of the, the brighter flavors that you tend to get from a kimchi.
2: It also kind of takes out a lot of the um, robustness of the spice itself so that the fullness of the flavor comes out. And that
1: was the third part that I was going to talk about. Yeah, you can also focus on beer pairing uh, in terms of being a cleansing agent, Um, using flavors to just clear the palate. If you're having something really spicy, you can either go with something with a lot of uh, bitterness or you can go with something really sweet. Sweetness tends to cut spice. Um, Bitterness tends to cut fat really well. So a pale ale, or actually a pilsner in particular, is fantastic with, like, fish and chips or um, scotch eggs or what have you. Um, Works really well there. There are a few little exceptions that kind of you can use to guide yourself elsewhere. If you're having a beer that's been made with something, odds are you can probably pair it with whatever it is that the beer was made with, and you'll be fine. Um, There are some weird exceptions. Like, I wouldn't necessarily recommend using, like, a chili chocolate stout. With, um, like, a lot of spicy foods, because you're, you're going to be playing on levels of different intensity, and it's just not going to work. When you think about it, you can just think of them like pairing another set of ingredients. So if the beer has been made with cherries, well, think about what foods you'd have that would go well with cherries, right? Uh, you can have some fun with duck, pork, and, like, a crick, a Belgian cherry sour. Uh, go really well together. Um, because, again, you're relying on those same fruit and pork pairings that, that you tend to look at in terms of cooking. The biggest thing you can do for yourself if you're actually wanting to focus on tasting beer and doing beer pairings is just beef up on on your cooking. Learn about what flavors tend to complement each other and contrast with each other. And then you can just start picking up the same flavors in your beer and then then play them along it. One other thing with beer that you tend to run into is barrel aging. Barrel aging usually is going to bring out vanilla and oak notes. Uh, Occasionally, if you're using a barrel aging that's using a barrel that's already been used for something else, you're going to get some character out of that as well. Uh, if you're using a bourbon barrel, which is really common because they have to use new barrels every run of bourbon, um, you are going to get some of those notes there as well. Whereas if you, if you have food that has a lot of uh, buttery or sherry-ish kind of notes, um, those barrel characters are going to go really well to bring out those flavors. Um, having a nice, lightly smoky barrel-aged beer with uh, an Eggs Benedict, for example, Goes really well. I'm going to talk a lot about breakfast beers. I yeah, I
0: can't wait <laughs> to talk about breakfast beers because beers for all times of the day. Yeah, I'm into it.
1: And it's 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 funny because like I don't do it all that often. It's just that most of my favorite food pairings with beer tend hmm. to be breakfast foods Yeah. Uh, now yes. I mean you can have breakfasts any time of the day. I I only usually have them in the evenings anyway. But
0: should we talk about the beer that we have on the table now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is a Vidi Vini Vici. This uh, is the first version of it, actually, I should say, um, from Brasserie Dunham in Quebec. Uh, this is a 5.6%. It's a saison that was co-brewed using uh, Quebec wine grapes. So you're going to get some interesting characters out of that. Additionally, it was barrel aged for for six months, as I think I mentioned before, and then had some cellar aging on it. Uh, so I'd recommend us pouring this. So saison's generally... Yeah, we should move that out of the way, so it's not...
0: So one question I had um, before you go on is, what does co-brew mean?
1: Uh, as in, in addition to the uh, the malts that you're working with during your or during your fermentation process, you're also going to be adding other fermentables. So with a honey beer, you'd be co-brewing with uh, with, with honey.
0: Oh, so it's just putting stuff in during. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. we're
1: using wine grapes with this at the same time that we're using our malts.
0: Wow. And you can really.
1: Yeah, um, you get a ton of really bright lychee flavor, like aromas, like you would out of a lot of white wines, mm-hmm. um, and it, it just really, really pops. So if you were looking to do something really complementary with this, uh, if you have something like a golden plum or some other fruit, if we just haven't have a few of those here on the counter, um, then that'll pair really well in a complementary sense.
0: Okay.
1: Um, if, whereas you could be relying on the bit of acidity that you'd be getting from that wine grape character to kind of cut through a slightly fatty cheese. I wouldn't do this with something that's incredibly creamy uh, with this particular beer, but mm-hmm. it's it's a good one to kind of start with. Hmm.
0: Um. It's so interesting to me um, trying beers that are barrel-aged in any sort of, like, wine barrels or, like you're saying, co-brewed with grapes, like, having wine mm-hmm. characteristics cause you get, like, that the grape smell of it, but then you also get kind of, like, the beer yeast. Yeah, well, I mean, most people are stuff. used to cool.
1: very simple brews. Not, not saying that, like, a lot of these beers aren't complex and don't have a lot of work put into them. But generally speaking, now, when we talk about fermentables, uh, we're doing single ingredient fermentables, which also makes it super easy for doing food pairings mm-hmm. um, because you're working within very narrow flavor bands. Um, historically, though, fermentables were made with, with whatever we had on hand. Uh, so you get things actually uh, if, you, if anyone's familiar with the dogfish head brewery they have a whole ancient ale series that's dedicated to, to highlighting some of these older recipes um you get things like their, their midas touch which is a historical recreation that uses roughly in equal parts honey and wine grapes musket grapes in particular uh and and barley and you get a lot of complexities that people aren't used to trying to work their way through in a beer um if you go even further uh they did one uh, Kavassier, and uh, that's winter wheat and birch sap and uh, lingonberries and um, a few herbs in there. And, and it, it all kind of provides a lot of additional depth and complexity there. Yeah. Likewise, uh, these days, beer is usually only bittered with hops. And we bred hops to get us all kinds of different aromas out of it. But uh, prior to the, the, the late Middle Ages... We were using whatever herbs we had on hand as a preservative, so you could get really strong time character out of a beer because mm-hmm. that's what was around at the time. Um, you also get things like, uh, like Waldmeister, like uh, Sweet Woodruff. It was a plant you could add to something to make it last a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so do you know where, uh, where the brewery is? The yeah, brewery? Uh,
1: it's in Quebec. I okay. unfortunately don't recall what part of Quebec they're from. Uh, yeah. It's been a little while since I, I looked into them myself.
0: Yeah, this one's really nice because a lot of barrel-aged beers um, are pretty high uh, alcohol. Yeah, and this um, one's only five point six percent.
1: A, a lot of the motivation for having uh, higher alcohol beers for the the barrel aging is that they will just be able to have a longer shelf life. Yeah. So, uh, gen, like this this beer in particular is a little over aged. Um, you are getting a little bit of oxidation coming through, mainly on the flavor, more so than the aroma. Um, and that's because it's that lower alcohol content. So okay. before the bottle was even released from the brewery, the beer was six months old. And then it came to me and then sat in my cellar for two years. <laughs> so it's, it's got a little more age on it. Whereas if you did that with like a 9% beer or a 12% beer, um, that'll be very comfortable. The, the rate of oxidation is going to be quite low. And you're, you're going to get a little bit of added complexity, but it's not I've gotten to the point where you've, you've got a little bit of an off character there.
2: So this one in particular, have you had this one before?
1: I have, um, a year ago. So I I had one bottle of this a year ago, and then I had it a year before that, when it was only seven months old. Okay, so how do you think the,
2: I know we've talked about the, the possibility of oxidation, but how do you think in reality it's replicated itself? Do you think that it is a lot more oxidized tasting than you remember it, or is it less
1: perceivable? um it's it's a bit more perceivable than it was one year ago uh i would say that this change is relatively recent okay like somewhere in the last year hmm. my guess would be somewhere in the last six months or so um cobra like, like brewing with grapes at the same time generally you're gonna have a slightly longer shelf life there yeah because you know, have that fine. acidity temper yeah about exactly that. right um so it's it's holding up pretty well. It's it's definitely held up even even a little better than I thought. I figured I'd start with this early so that if it if it was really oxidized, we could just put it to one side. But, mm-hmm. uh, that is yeah, one really big thing with barrel aging is if you get into it, rotate your beer regularly. Don't don't be a hoarder like me. Don't be a okay. hoarder. <laughs> uh, you end up finding a, an eight or ten month old IPA hidden in the Uh-oh. back of the shelf, and you're just you're a shame just, at you're that just point. drinking sad malt beer. Like, <laughs> But yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's one really big aspect there. Now, I mean, when it, when, one thing I did want to point out when it comes to food pairing, um, people tend to, if they're treating it like some kind of big thing, they tend to freak out about, oh, well, should I focus on the beer or should I focus on the wine? Like that, you can do either. I've definitely cooked a couple of meals where, where wine, where the, sorry, I said wine again, uh, where beer is the focus of the dish as in like I got this beer and I just want to make food that make this beer look good uh, I know people that homebrew that do that pretty regularly uh, if they're going to have friends over for trying a new homebrew then they'll make usually just a, an hors d'oeuvre or two that'll be really complimentary to it um, but generally most people you'd want to put the attention on whatever it is you made so if you made a meal you're usually going to go hey hey look at this thing I made what and, beer can I and have and what beer can I have with that that'll make my thing look better mm-hmm. Uh, um so generally people tend to start with the food choices for a menu and then build up additionally if you're serving a really large group of people doing the food decisions first is going to make a lot of sense Uh, you're dealing with food sensitivities food allergies food preferences even and it's a lot harder when you've based a menu around a couple of beer to have to suddenly go oh now I need to figure out alternate food pairings for all of these beers, but still need to keep these beers around because I've stocked up on them and bought the eight, ten bottles that I would need for each person. Yeah, well, presumably if it was special and everything would be even harder to procure that volume. For mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Um, it's definitely happened with me with a few last-minute pairings where someone's been like, I really want to use these beers, now let's pick food pairings. And then I went out and I bought the ingredients for the food pairings. And then I got a message about 72 hours before the event saying, So... 10 of our people are vegetarian and three of them have gluten sensitivities and one of them has say a shellfish allergy and that was fine like i made it work i just did did a cheese platter and and some vegetables and and that was that but it's always pick the thing figure out the thing that's going to be hardest to figure out first really Mm -hmm. simply
0: i just want to point out as someone who's identifies as lactose intolerant, I'm here eating all the different cheeses with this beer, and my take is that I just had a cheddar, and it was good, and then I had the Swiss, and like you were saying that like extra creaminess yeah. just went really nice. I mean, what, what's with, ha- Like a Saison is so bubbly. Yeah,
1: you're, yeah, and so that's one very specific food pairing aspect about beer that you don't get with wine. I was about to say, yeah, and this is one of the fun things you're getting, because this is much more closer to a traditional wine pairing, where you're getting the acidity of your wine grape cutting through mm-hmm. the fattiness of the Swiss. Mm-hmm. But the big thing you're getting thanks to the Saison aspect of this is uh, carbonation. Carbonation is the one specific food pairing thing that sets beer tasting aside from wine tasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's going to complicate things compared to similar flavors coming from wine. Uh, carbonation is going to cleanse palates a lot quicker. Carbonation yeah. is going to scrub fat a lot quicker. Uh, so you can make, you can have beers hold up against fattier foods uh, a bit easier than with wines. Uh, A good example of that is if you're doing uh, meals with a lot of sweetbreads, you can start getting into palate fatigue really quick with wine pairings with every course, Uh, especially if you're doing sweetbreads with cream sauces or something like that. And with beer, the the carbonation manages to to cleanse palate and get you a few courses later. Hmm. Um, uh, One of my friends, Tom, uh, one of the Folks that founded the Newfoundland Labrador Artisanal Craft Beer Club uh, was actually doing a, a cooking course where he was working with sweetbreads, which is why all this comes very specifically to mind. Um, because I did have a bunch of wine pairings with it at, at the meal itself, and then I, I tried some of the recipes at home back to back with uh, with beer, and I was able to pick out a lot more subtleties on the later dishes than with with the beer pairing than I was in the wine pairing, just mm-hmm. because. Yeah. You're you're tasting too many of the same things in your dishes, and then you're tasting too many of the same things um, in your wines. And you're not really getting the palate scrub um, that you were from the, the, the frothy, foamy.
0: Yeah. I never thought goodness. of it like that. Yeah. But that's why it just goes so good with like takeout. Mm. Yeah, no. Like, honestly, <laughs> if,
1: like, if you just think about like whatever kind of fatty food you're getting, like fried chicken, French fries, burgers, mm-hmm. um, I, scotch eggs are always something I tend to fish point and to. chips uh, fish and yeah. chips yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean anything covered in, in, gra- in grease yeah. yeah anything covered in deep fried like um, actually mozzarella sticks mm. and a good pilsner that right Ooh. there yeah That's sounds wow. great yeah mozzarella sticks Czech pilsner and uh, probably a marinara sauce that's slightly herbaceous and it'll go quite well yeah but yeah
2: well, the interesting thing about this one that I've I've noticed, I'm not sure if it's due to the oxidation, um, but there's there's these two different competing flavors between the grapes and the saison itself, mm-hmm. and there's this the the character of the saison that tends to be a little bit more of a bright character yeah. almost comes through as sweet in comparison yeah. with the acidity of the grapes.
1: Yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah, no, that's that's actually one really fun thing about this beer in particular. Uh, now, saisons generally, you, you, yeah, like you said, you need to have a lot of bright carbonation. Uh, you should get some fruity and peppery character. Obviously, that fruity character is being elevated by the, the grape. You're, you're mm-hmm. having a food pairing thing happening in, inside the bottle. Really, when you're doing brewing of multiple ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, where it's aged, you tend to lose a bit of carbonation, so it's not quite as as bright and bubbly as it was. And as a result of that, that's what's causing the the malt the the wort that was used for brewing to the sweetness of that to come through it a little bit more. Uh, from a chemical standpoint of that, as a, a beer or a soda or anything gets less carbonated, uh, carbon dioxide, when it's dissolved, is sequestered as carbonic acid. And that's gonna be lowering the pH of what you're drinking a little bit and make it a little acidic. Mm. Uh, if you ever just have plain carbonated water, like not club soda or anything, it is gonna taste slightly tart, even though there's nothing in there except carbonation. Likewise, if you have a beer that's losing carbonation, uh, it's not going to have that tartness you're not going to see this tartness because generally the flavor profile is way away from tart um, but you will see it with sour sometimes if they're on draft and they're they're not hitting the right carbonation level but anyway um, it tends to be why multi like beer with a lot of carbonation to it tends to be sweeter when it's flat it's because as you're losing that carbonation, that sweetness is just kind of popping right up. And that, that is one thing. It was, it's a little bit about, about the wine's kind of complementing character in this, but it's also a little bit of this beer getting older, losing a bit of carbonation to its headspace, and uh, having a little bit of oxidation there.
0: Yeah, and if you're new to beer drinking, uh, this is something I learned when I started getting into trying different kinds of beer. Different kinds of beer are carbonated to different levels. Or naturally, because of the yeast used or the amount of grains used, are more carbonated or less carbonated. So you think uh like a stout versus like a pilsner. Yeah, yeah one's you're going to have that foam, nice foam on the top.
1: Yeah, you're you're going to be going for um a lot of a lot of different levels of bubbliness, really. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the beers we're going to get to right at the end and I'm going to make sure it's one of the ones we have because it's my favorite style. Uh, I've got a barley wine in there. Barley wines tend to be halfway to flat, and compared to a, a, what a lot of people tend to expect from beers.
0: Yeah, they taste—they taste very much like um, mead to me.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Um, a lot of that's going to have to do from a longer carbonation time. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, more of your carbonation, more of your carbon dioxide is going to be escaping um, when you're trying to get to those higher alcohol content levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should mention barley wines—if you're not familiar—can get up to. 10, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, they really you're, are. You're, you're creeping up the wine levels pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say other beers can't. Evil Twin did a, a Imperial IPA that got 13.4, but aside from that and, like, breweries that are actively just competing for alcohol content with fractional freezing, and I'm getting way off topic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm
0: thinking we should move on to our next beer.
1: Yeah, I'll go grab another one out of those. Sure. I right.
0: really like this one, though. We can get it on
1: yeah. Uh, somebody grab one that's actually. Oh, no, wait,
0: no. that's
2: a uh, right. That's gonna. Ooh. That's gonna throw things a bit. Um, let's do. Let's start with the later IPA. i would recommend. Let's grab one that I literally haven't tried. There you oh, go. Yay, okay. All right, so, so this is one that I picked up this afternoon. Um, this yeah, is Garrison. Yeah. Wait. I'm gonna cut a little bit more cheese. Okay in the in the lull well, we're not going really uploading this.
0: Yeah, no I'll I'll edit all this out.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I'm just I'm actually kinda of blown away by that beer because if if what you say is accurate about the um, that uh Vini yeah. um it honestly tastes better. I think I think i didn't I enjoy the current yes. version more than I would have when it was fresh. Oh ironically yeah um, just because this is actually it's it's a very very good flavor
1: yeah I'm probably like I having tasted that I'm probably gonna pop the rest of mine in the next eight months okay
2: yeah right like it's getting there
1: yeah okay. it's it's getting there but also I'm I'm genuinely enjoying it like, right that's fair yeah right. was Guys, it, was this it is, is a sound bite
0: song? that's really important to me okay everyone sh- Okay, now you can talk. I've been trying to get the perfect crack. Get yet. that so that I can get open that every crack. episode. Gotcha. With
1: a I'll, crack. Uh, I'll try to get a better bottle open on my next uh, cap
2: once. Yeah. Again. Just like, Just pull out a champagne bottle just to open it and oh just put God. it away. Uh,
1: yeah, everyone's getting in that shed it. It's
2: amazing. That. Actually, I'm going to say this right now. I think, although Nat said, the, uh, the Swiss pairing was better. I, I think this, the cheddar pairing was...
0: I liked the cheddar. Un- I liked how the bubbly went with the fat. Yeah.
2: For me, it was how this one, literally, like, you take a sip of that and it would melt into your mouth okay. mm. with that flavor. It was perfect.
0: Anyway. My brain's like, oh, God, I gotta it all this out now. <laughs> it's fine. I'm gonna listen to the whole okay, thing cool, and cool. I'm not in any rush and, like, it doesn't matter if it's clean to me. Okay. <sighs> All right, so I'm going to have Ethan describe this next beer because you picked it up today.
2: Sure. So this is a Juicy IPA. It's brewed by uh, Garrison, and it is a double IPA. Um, it's, it's West Coast style, uh, but it, which, of course, is characterized more as resiny and piney. But one of the interesting things about the Juicy IPA is that they intentionally tried to use uh, a hop profile from West Coast that is a lot more on the juicy hop side. So, it's
1: kind of contrary to what you typically get with most West Coast IPAs. Uh, I feel it's worth mentioning, too. Uh, I'm going to be tasting this without having tried it at all, and I'm attempting to ignore the label in whatever way I can. Okay. All right.
0: Also, redo. It's East Coast style with yep. East Coast alien right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is Garrison's uh, Juicy Double IPA. They're a brewery located in Halifax. Um... Brewed with East Coast ale yeast. So, we're trying to, I guess, like ignore what they say in the can and just taste it and then talk about like what foods you would pair with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to, well, what I'm going to do first is I'm actually going to ask you guys to describe some stuff and then I'll talk about why that would likely or not likely be a great pairing. But keeping in mind, of course, trying its, the, the, The proof is in the pudding. Trying it actually with the food is going to be the best chance because there's always flavor compounds and flavor aspects that we don't notice until there's other flavors kind of compared against them. so i'm gonna turn the tables on you guys for a second what are oh, no. you what are, uh, so what are you I'm, getting out of this beer i'm
0: gonna let you can go first right. he <laughs> so, actually i feel like is the one out I'm gonna of have
2: us. i'm gonna have a, a, yeah. a 10 or 20 second interlude that we may or may not include however this is kind of focusing on why i thought it was a west coast oh is it the dank yes <laughs> yes 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 um th- yeah that's That's primarily the reason why. Um, Yeah, it's got a very, very, very very piney, piney heavily herbaceous, yep, yep, taste to it. But it also has that brightness and bright citrusy character that Mm. is really, really characteristic of East Coast. But it doesn't have any of the grassiness. Well, it's funny. It's funny you
1: mentioned that. I am getting a little bit of grassy there, but it's mainly like a lemon verbena, okay, kind of character. It's not green, green grass. I'll
2: taste that now too. Actually, yeah, yeah more akin to like a lemongrass kind of thing yeah i definitely
0: like you ethan and i drink like i think ipas for the two of us are our go-to favorite Mm -hmm. beers and this to me tastes like a west coast because it's definitely not as hazy as i expected in east coast and is like light and it definitely has more of that hoppy bitter Mm piney dank but also super tropical fruity um so, so it's I, very I, interesting to me. Yeah, so I've
1: got a food pairing in mind for this. Uh, now that I've tried it, okay, I'm, I'm, I kind of want to hear one from each of you uh, before I get into that.
0: I'll go first. Okay, I guess I was thinking like, man, this is hard. Because I'm like, I would eat anything with this. No, but I think the thing that came to mind to me for me mm-hmm. would be like a Thai coconut curry. So, like, something that has, I don't know. No, no, that's actually... citrusiness, but also kind of spicy to go with, like... Because I like having IPAs with something that's, like, spicy.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, let's let's break that down. So, let's say that we're using uh, a standard Thai red curry. Uh, The characteristics you're going to have going on there, you're going to have chili, you're going to have lemongrass, garlic, uh, ginger. You're going to be getting a ton of coconut in there from the coconut cream and coconut milk. Um, You're also usually going to be getting some sweetness in there from some palm sugar. And uh, often there will be some uh, basil as an accompaniment, sometimes a bit of tomatoes, and some cucumber. Now let's kind of pick this apart a little bit. Uh, That coconut flavor is going to absolutely be complemented by by the the tropical notes you're getting in here. Um, There's a lot of fattiness to a Thai curry, so you're going to be cutting through that with the bitterness... Um, and that's a really important thing to, to make note. When I was talking about three main approaches, like complement, contrast, cleanse, it's not that a food does one thing to a beer or vice mm-hmm. versa. Uh, and that is another important side note, is that you, when you're doing food pairings with beers, um, you can have served food with the intent of, of having that effect on tasting a beer too. Um, you're going to have that spiciness that's going to be cut by the bitterness, So you've got a lot of flavors there, most of which you're going to be kind of cutting through and contrasting, and then a few things that are gonna be really complimented, like that coconut flavor. Uh, And if you're serving it with a bit of uh, Thai basil, you're gonna have some more herbaceous notes in there. And Thai basil, you get um, an anise bordering on a little bit resinous character, uh, especially if you're using, say, uh, Thai basil flower buds. And so you can get a lot of fun going on right there. Uh, additionally, a little bit of cucumber served on the side there is, is going to just really bring up the, the little bit of herb note that's, I say a little bit, there's a fair bit of herb note in here, mm. but it's going to bring up the light of character. Uh, cucumber and, and lemongrass as notes to like, play with are, are always really, really fun. Uh, Muskoka, actually in Ontario, did a really nice cucumber lemongrass pale ale a few years ago as part of their Moonlight Kettle series. So I've had that with bread curry more than a few times, and they, it works really well. They I feel so style.
0: validated. Ah, yeah. okay. I want to hear Ethan's food pairing.
2: Well, the first thing that came to my mind was, was kind of similar, but a completely different um, direction. It was jalapeno mac and cheese.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So again, you're getting lots of creamy flavors going there. Yep. Uh, but one thing you're really taking advantage of is um, the bite of a, of a sharper cheddar. Uh, Acting really complimentary to the biting character of this. So that's when you're having things that are a little bit more in kind. Uh, Additionally, it's super easy for something really creamy and fatty and sweet to overpower other things you're having with it. It's one of the reasons why people tend to put breadcrumbs into macaroni and cheese really frequently. Uh, It's because you're you're trying to just add more earthy characters and toasty notes to just kind of cut through that fatty character. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also why I like... Vinegary sauces with macaroni and cheese, like mustards or ketchups or what have you, um, because you're having that sharpness to cut through. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's another fantastic pairing. And again, you added in a bit of spice there to, to kind of cut through. Yeah. Um, the thing that I had in mind with this one, uh, I'm not actually using spicy in this at all, really, um, is uh, Vietnamese lemongrass grilled pork would mm-hmm. actually go exceptionally well with this. Um, that lemon verbena note is going to really hype up the lemongrass that's in the marinade for the pork. Um, you tend to get a lot of darker, roastier, uh, almost kind of not quite charred notes on the, on the chops. And that's actually going to highlight some of the malt character in this. And I find that that's one thing that Garrison has a lot of interesting things in their malt profile. Even when you're working with something like an IPA where your malt profile ideally should be relatively neutral or in a double, slightly caramel um, there's a little more depth there in this than than the usual, and mm. so I feel like having that, where you're having a little bur- a little bit of burnt sugar flavors, and you're having a little bit of um, a little bit of charcoaly notes, really, um, are gonna really heighten that aspect of things. Mm. Um, but I mean, there's tons of ways you can go with it uh, with with any beer. It's it's just about finding particular flavors that you want to highlight. Uh, as long as you're not having beer that's completely different in intensity or completely different in flavor, you're going to have a, a pretty good time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. As far as a freeform pairing
2: is concerned, where you're not, you're not necessarily... Focusing on the pairing aspect before consumption where you're just like, yeah. I'm, I'm hungry. This is something I have. And then this well, I mean, is an another,
1: interesting looking beer. Another example of this, um, even a little more often, is if you're looking at a menu at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you recognize some of the beers and you recognize some of the flavors in your dishes, then you can look at that menu and you can make a reasonably educated guess about what flavors will be complimentary or not. Um, if I'm having like a very sweet, vanilla-y dessert, I probably don't want to have like a like a very bitter herbal beer unless there's something else in that vanilla dessert that I'm wanting to kind of work around or cut through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you there's a lot of there's a lot of sweetness in the back end of a double IPA usually. So I wouldn't usually pair this with anything too sweet because then the bitterness in the, the double IPA is going to be fighting against both the malt and the dish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mainly just a matter of starting to pay attention to seeing if you think there's any flavors that combined together are going to get rid of the overpowering or lost. it's kind of a continuum and as long as you're not on the far far end of one or the other you're fine really
0: and we all have taste buds so we all can do this
1: and more importantly all of our taste buds are different so no. uh and and not just like each individual human being's taste buds are different but each person's taste buds change as they age um, kids are way more sensitive to bitter flavors that's one of the reasons why they usually don't like beer like IPAs um, or Russell Sprouts or, or any such thing um, and we actually become and we actually become a little less uh, sensitive to those bitter characters as, as we age and funnily enough it's that loss of sensitivity that often may, lets us be able to appreciate the other flavors in the food uh, much more readily
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and that's going to be the case with being able to pick out nuances and sweet uh, when people get into older age as well and mm. um, it's it's the same kind of thing, really. It's it's about figuring out. You can get a consensus with people about what generally tends to pair off with things, but the person who's drinking the beer is you, and the person who's making the decision about what drink beer to drink is you. So why would you ever let someone other than you ultimately make the decisions that you're going to make when it comes to having beer with food? Yeah, and this
0: like, is what I love about beer. Um, and I talked about in our tasting episode too is that like the culture around beer is very like you know, uh, people come into the shop and they're like, what beer should I have? And really the question isn't like, what is good and what is bad? It's what do you like to drink? And I, I like that openness to just people know their own experiences. And
1: I mean, most, most of the time when a beer is bad, it's bad because of production faults. It's not usually bad because of purely flavor choice. Uh, it may be mediocre because of flavor choice, If you're looking at your style or your aroma that you're trying to get there, Um, but most true faults in bad beer uh, happen at brewing practices; they don't happen at flavor decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. Or or bad storage, or (laughs) to use the point of like overselling a beer, Um, beer handling really is is the point that I was getting at there in general.
2: Yeah, because even though you know everyone has their own preferences and their own taste and their own actual biologic predetermination for how that taste is going to affect them. Yeah. But it's also into, like, how, how well can that translate into a product that you're designing? And that's mm-hmm. that's from the brewer's perspective. And there's so many other things that can throw it off manufacturing-wise along mm-hmm. the way, but no matter what, like, that person is, th- the brewer is still going off, you know, a flavor profile that's good for him and likely good for most mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be doing it otherwise.
1: Yeah. And, and again... You're, you're going to run into different groups that, that have very different flavor appeals. Right? Of course. IPAs aren't going to be made for people that like stouts. No. Unless it's a black IPA, and even then that's a whole other category, really. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to walk a line that
2: most the most isolated camp members don't like.
1: Yeah. Except pumpkin beers. Those usually go over, like, a lead balloon. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, my
0: parents, they love... When it happens, like, they're all about the pumpkin beer. Really?
1: And Ironically,
2: they did... that used to—that was one of the very first craft beers I got into was Sam it is, Adams Oktoberfest. Do you remember?
0: Yes. Yeah, so have... uh,
2: Sam Adams Oktoberfest has... Yeah, they okay. um, they used to have a pumpkin. They used to, like, engineer a pumpkin character. Yeah, because it was... It didn't have pumpkin in it, but it had a oh, pumpkin okay. character. What was it.
0: the... The legend it was connected
2: to. Super Hollow. Yeah, Sleepy oh, Hollow
0: okay. and the guy with pumpkin. So it was called Pumpkin Head. That makes sense. And so, okay. but my parents do uh, cinnamon sugar on the glass rim, okay. and it's honestly like you couldn't yeah. drink more no, but, than but, one. No, but to be
1: honest, that kind of thing is kind of like a food pairing, right? You're yeah. Pairing mm-hmm. the beer with cinnamon sugar. Um, food pairing doesn't have to be super complicated. Like I said, we're just having a cheese with a beer or a fruit with a beer here. With in the case of most of these things, mm-hmm. so. I mean, yeah, when you're talking about a whole prepared dishes, it gets complicated. Um, but then you're, if you're talking life. about whole like, meals, because I, I have a couple of times tried to pair an entire meal alongside a single beer, mm. um, that gets really complicated.
0: Okay, so I'm going to let you, Matt, explain our next beer that we're going to taste now.
1: Yeah, um, as soon as I select it. <laughs> um, so, I'm thinking... We'll probably do this one first,
2: Mm.
1: and then do it this way, uh, with the acknowledgement that we're going to need a pretty heavy palate cleanser after this next
0: beer. Okay, Mm. so I'm going to let you describe. Yeah, of course.
1: So this is uh, Beer de Mars from County Road. Uh, County Road are a... um... Oh, goodness me. I've actually forgotten where they're located. It is an Ontario brewery. Uh, It's in Hillier. So this is a... uh, Another... Kettle soured, uh, I believe it's a, a beer to gar, like a Saison. This is actually gonna have some similarities to that first beer that we started with. The big difference though, um, this is a beer that's brewed with uh, on bread. So if you ever see on a beer or something on bread, it means that it's being brewed in addition to the Saccharomyces yeast that's used for your fermentation. There's also Bretanomyces in there. Uh, Bretanomyces tends to give a lot of earthy characters to a beer. Um, some people describe them as funky or barnyard or slightly more offensive smells. I hear like
0: farmhouse-y are. a lot. And Horse that... blanket
1: is my favorite descriptor well, because it's very evocative, I <laughs> find. <laughs> yeah, horse yeah. blanket. So
0: this, is this a kettle sour?
1: Um, it's been wild sour. Like, it's been soured, but souring could just mean like... Brett, the brett fermentation okay so it could just um, mean
0: those additions that you i mean it's
1: it's, it's likely that there's also lactococcus or pediacoccus in here providing a bit of additional souring mm-hmm. um i actually haven't cracked this beer at all mm-hmm. um, it has been soured again for a few years and one of the reasons why i wanted to bring this as a cellared beer is uh actually has some behaviors very different from saccharomyces yeast so saccharomyces yeast is i uh, greedy Um, It uh, tends to eat as much sugar as it can get its hand on, and then stops. Mm. Um, Because it dies. Exactly. Um, Rotanomyces is patient. It waits for its food. It nibbles. So what you tend to have is a beer that's been brewed on Brett will slowly mature over years and years, slowly eating the residual sugars that are left in the beer. Now, since this has, again, been cellaring for about two years... Uh, the Brett has really had a chance to, to kind of take over, take over the beer quite a bit. Uh, one other thing that tends to happen with that, of course, since it's eating residual sugars, is the beer is going to get a much drier finish. Um, as your sugars are dropping, your attenuation is going up, and highly attenuated beers, kind of like saisons, do tend to, to have a really dry character. So that, in particular, is really good at cutting through some fatty flavors again um so i'm going to bet this is going to go really well with the cured meat that's there on the counter
0: Ooh, i'm excited yeah so to me this beer smells like like wildflowers i don't know maybe if that's what i get from the earthiness no,
1: i can kind of see it um there you there are some more floral characters coming through there i think that might be more from the yeast or possibly a bit of the hops that's in there um, but it's a little hard to peg down. Like, this actually yeah. smells very
2: similar to homemade rose wine and dandelion wine. Yeah, I think lime. that's yes, what i could Yes, I can see that. Yeah.
1: I, if it you're... smells
0: like the dandelion wine.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I find this beer so interesting um, that the process is so... Like, this is where you're really playing with, like, cellaring and adding these additions of yeast and kind of... Yeah. Yeah,
1: so, and again, tasting this fresh would, would be very different because of just how long Britannomyces takes its time with eating sugars. Mm, mm-hmm. um, the the more funky, earthy character on this one was kind of a back note when it was fresh. It was present, yeah. um, it was certainly a contributor to flavor, but you didn't have a lot of um, the kind of sweet hay and bedstraw character. That you're getting. Um, and it's
0: almost uh, like I've kind of heard the comparison to, like you're saying, the yeast that eats away all that sugar mm-hmm. kind of gives it this champagne y quality where it's like yeah. super bubbly, like in the back of your throat, like that. And this mm-hmm. definitely has that when you swallow it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, likewise, uh, champagne generally you're, you're going to be getting some dry. Yeah, the character. dry yeah. character. And. I would definitely consider this in some ways a really good, like, palate cleansing kind of beer. Mm-hmm. I'd also, I'd walk a line with this because it's very easy for it to get overpowering one way or the other. But this would pair really well with pickled foods. With um, that
0: saltiness, I guess? The saltiness,
1: but also the acidity. Because mm-hmm. this, this funk is strong enough to hold up to the relatively potent acidity that you tend to get with, say, uh, pickled eggs or pickled wieners or pickled mm-hmm. onions. Um, all three of those I think would go quite well with this because it is gonna also kind of act to accent the funk that you tend to get from those foods. Um, the slightly sulfury character in a pickled egg. I mean, it's not for everyone, obviously. Um but that slightly sulfury character is gonna be highlighted in a in a not offensive way. Um if you already don't find pickled eggs offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be not much of a Newfoundlander if I did not enjoy pickled eggs and pickled wieners on Christmas. Totally fair. Yeah. And, and pickled pig tongue. Actually, pickled pig tongue would go super well with this.
0: Wow, that's something I've never had.
1: <coughs> um, It's a pretty common, like, more rural Newfoundland Christmas thing. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I wasn't even aware of it as a word, Oh, thing. yeah, no. pickle pork tongue is, like, not even a thing. Like, it's a thing even beyond Newfoundland. Like, yeah. okay. there are companies that make ready-made pickled tongue, like, with, weight, with plastic wrapped full color labels and everything like it's not like a Newfoundland company yeah, just, like, yeah, it's not churning like, it out it's not like the, the sealed pelts of Belvin's kind of thing yeah, yeah. Like, oh,
2: who knows that came yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean generally those are just uh, low grade pelts that yeah. they often die right? but oh, yeah. that's that's very off topic <laughs> I, just, I always find that interesting anyway, yeah. anyway. Zoom? no it's fair. <laughs> one of these days I'm, I'm buying one it's, it's just gonna happen Fair enough. Uh,
0: Wear it right around your shoulders. <laughs> go
1: climb. Actually, that was exactly what I was thinking. It for like, as, like a nice, comfortable thing. Or like putting it on a chair to make the chair more comfortable. Oh, I like mm. that, yeah. That's a good call. Mm. Okay, so um, <coughs> this will also go nicely with more aged cheddars. Mm. Um, it'll highlight a lot of the funk in more aged cheeses in general. Like um, something like um, a Camembert or a... Uh, Actually, even like a Limburger would go really well to kind of really amp those characters up to eleven. Um, with this aged cheddar, though, it's it's doing a real good job of just emphasizing the the more nutty characters there really well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it was totally very good with uh, with the cured meat. Now, one thing I think we should try that I don't think is going to be a good pairing. Because we should try it with some fresh fruit, even yes. though it's not going to taste all okay. that Okay.
0: Well. No, this is a good learning experience, because I want to try beer with something that doesn't go well with it, you know?
1: As soon as my mouth is empty.
0: <laughs> we're very busy eating um, salami.
2: Yes. Hung- <laughs> Hungarian spice Salami.
0: Hungarian spice Salami. Okay. We need, like, a salami break. Okay, so we're going to try it. With these are little, what are
1: these? Golden plums.
0: Golden plums. So, this is gonna be a not good pairing.
1: Uh, I mean, it's but, not, it won't be terrible, but it, it won't, won't be complimentary be. in the way that Yeah, some which of these is gonna have. be
0: really interesting. Like, have you ever had a beer that you usually like right after a new beer that you've tried and it tastes completely different and you're like, ugh.
1: You can get some serious orange juice after toothpaste moments. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: A lot of that is going to come from the fact that we tend to associate those kind of smells and flavors with bread with over fruit. Yeah, yeah and so,
0: so it makes um, it taste like...
1: And so when you're having these two things together, you're, you're getting this impression while you're eating the pear of like, this isn't fresh this isn't ripe um this doesn't taste comfortable i probably should stop eating right um and now like there are some interesting flavors here if you want to keep picking at um in particular the skins you get some interesting whiny tartness that the that the thing comes from so like a, a pickled version of this plum mm. like uh like something like meboshi or something would probably be a to hold up a little well again because this is a relatively subtle gentle flavor you're having these big potent flavors coming across from the the bread Mm -hmm. and not so it's both overpowering the fruit and making you think of spoiled fruit generally not something you want to have when you're trying to eat fruit with a beer Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah this
2: like literally reminded me of eating when when i was a kid i used to go apple picking with my parents and this reminded me of like when i would get over eager and try to pick an apple and eat it that just was not even close to ripe that's Mm -hmm. what this tasted like
1: yeah, and, and again, that's not to say that if you enjoy this, you're weird. I mean, you might be, like, unusual from the normal, but that's fine. Well, you're in the minority, but that's not necessarily wrong. Yeah, like, wrong. I, I like extremely bitter flavors, in general. Like, one of my favorite things to drink is a uh, chinaro, which is an artichoke-based amaro.
0: Hmm.
1: Not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm featuring music from Newfoundland and Labrador's 2020 RPM Challenge on the podcast. RPM means Record Production Month, and it's a challenge to record a record in just one month. I want to encourage listeners to support local musicians by purchasing their music online during this time. A lot of artists are home and unable to tour or perform. This episode's music is Squire Strat by Monica Walsh. There's a link to her Bandcamp page in the description of the podcast. Happy listening! Thanks for listening to the Newfoundland Beer Podcast. This podcast is produced in partnership with CHMR 93.5 FM. You can find us on Instagram at nlbeerpodcast.